I believed it at the time, right? Um, you know, and then more evidence comes out, and you're like, "Fuck, we've been fucked over. We've been lied to. It's all bullshit." And that's that's a hard thing to go through because it you it's a it's a system that you've spent decades believing is you know, an honourable, correct system, and now you've you know you've looked behind the veil and it's all fucking bullshit. And and so, but the best thing best you can do is come out and say, "Look, I was wrong." This is what led me to this point. This is why I got it wrong, and I'm sorry, and I will do better. Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker, and this is the Bitcoin Podcast. The Bitcoin block height is 815735, and the value of one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, where I talk with my guest about Bitcoin and many other things as well. Today, that guest is the one and only Peter McCormack. He's the host of What Bitcoin Did, an incredibly popular Bitcoin podcast. And he's also the chairman of the Real Bedford Football Club, who famously adopted Bitcoin. I really enjoyed this conversation with Peter, and I think you will as well. You can find all of Peter's links and accounts that he mentions in the show notes or by going to bitcoinpodcast.net slash words. You can watch the Bitcoin podcast on Rumble, YouTube, or X by searching at Walker America. And of course, you can listen on Fountain or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the Bitcoin podcast. If you listen to the Bitcoin podcast on Fountain, consider giving this show a boost or creating a clip of something you found interesting. For those that have boosted this show already or zap me on Noster, thank you. And in case you missed it, the Bitcoin Podcast has its first official sponsor, Bitbox and the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet. Head to bitbox.swiss walker and use the promo code walker for 5% off. I'm really excited to have Bitbox on board as a sponsor, and the Bitbox 02 has really exceeded my expectations. It is Bitcoin-only. It is fully open source, meaning you can check the firmware, the app code, the schematics and the blueprints for the device itself on GitHub. You can even build one yourself if you're feeling really ambitious. Or you can head to bitbox.swiss walker and use that promo code walker for 5% off. Thank you to Bitbox and the Bitbox 02 hardware wallet for sponsoring another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Without further ado, let's get into this Bitcoin talk with Peter McCormack. Uh, you know, I'm still new to this whole uh, this whole podcasting game. Uh, me, so I'm like, me and Danny have this rule now: when we when we're making shows, no one's allowed to talk until uh, we're recording. And uh, so we have the, this weird thing where if a guest turns up, I just go and wait in the bedroom because what happens is, oh my god, you, well, all your hellos and your intros are your best bits, and right? Like, Fuck, you just said something really cool. I want that on the podcast. And now I can't do it. And then you try and redo it and it doesn't work. So I just hide until the mics and things and we just go straight in. I'm going to start just like popping up from below the desk, like just waiting, you know, for the guests to come in and then, yeah, hello. Hello. <laughs> are you, are you no. whispering? Are you whispering because your good wife is asleep? It, do I? Well, okay. People, uh, people have been saying they're like, dude, you, like you got to like quit like forcing your voice or whatever. And I'm like, guys, I swear this is like, this is actually how my voice just normally sounds. You're just used to hearing me as a character in like, like playing, playing like Fiat high on cocaine or something like that. Uh, I swear my voice is normally like this. It's also like, you know, it'll, uh, 
it'll warm up once I get a, a few more cups of coffee in my system. Fairness, um, it's very early can, for you. I've been, I've been up for six hours. God, you 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 lucky uh, you lucky people across the pond just getting to getting to start that day a whole half a day ahead of us. You yeah, know how are we supposed right? to catch up? I know. Um, just do I? Uh, you're sounding you're sounding great to me. Do I sound okay on your end? You sound amazing. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Uh, so, uh, just to run through a, a couple things before we get going, because I just want to like make sure you're good with everything. I'll do everything. a every, everything. Well, I mean, look, if I can't, I'll say I can't. <laughs> no, I mean, no, there's no, one that's... like topic I can't get into, and I'll get into why. But like, okay, because well, so my 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 goal with this, Peter, is really to uh, like, uh, you know, not to not to toot your your horn too much, but you uh, were the first Bitcoin podcast I listened to. You are still my go-to Bitcoin podcast. You like it? It's it's really, and I think that's the case for quite a lot of people. And so, like, you're always on. Well, I guess now we're on the same side of the mic. We're both on a mic, but you know what I mean. You're you're always on one side of the mic. Uh, and I thought, you know, I I myself am curious. I've heard a little bit through our personal discussions and whatnot, but like, I want to know a little bit more about your story, kind of getting started with all of this. Um, and you know, not only, I think, you know, we can, we can go through some of that, but then also it's like, you've, you've built this now into this incredible, uh, podcasting empire, so to speak. And you're doing the docs now. Um, and like, which I think are super important though. I uh, was just watching again, the one that you did in Argentina and it's just, it's fantastic. And so I want to, I want to talk about some of that, like the actual work that you're doing, uh, as you saw, I took some questions on Twitter and on Noster. Uh, there were a couple that were like, you know, I, I figured somebody was going to throw some of these out there. Um, things about, you know, yeah, <laughs> the things about, you know, like, okay, BlockFi, like things that have been asked and answered before. So if you would rather... Uh, no, do it all, you, man. Do yeah, all you're good with it? it? Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I just wanted to make sure, like, I, I, the last thing I wanted was for this to feel like any sort of a, like a, ooh, gotcha, Peter. Like, I just want to hear your story. We'll throw in some other stuff. I think we'll find some good ways to weave things in. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, besides that, I mean, we'll just kind of flow with it and uh, and see and see how it goes. Man, I'm okay with gotchas. Do it. <laughs> well, damn, I should I, I should have prepared some more gotchas then. Shit, I might censor myself sometimes. My dad's actually in the room over here. Okay, okay. Well, he's, uh, well, he's, uh, he's come over for a few months. He's basically the kit man for my football team. Nice. And, uh, we're in my lounge. In front, in front of a, a bit of artwork my son did. Which I don't know if you can Wait, see that, that's fantastic. Yeah. Dude, and that's amazing. So uh, if I censor myself, I won't talk about like the drugs and hookers because like, I don't want my dad to know about that. Yeah. Peter, you just talked about the drugs and hookers shit. Yeah, oh, but oh, okay. I said no to them. It's it's okay. We'll uh, we'll cut that part from the uh, from the show. So that way he, he won't know when he's hearing it what later. Happen, yeah. Okay. Well, sweet. So, uh, well, with that, then let's uh, let's just dive right into this. I'm still figuring this thing out. So I'm just going to do like my uh, 10 second intro and give a uh, intro to you. And then we'll just pop this thing off and, and start talking. Not that we haven't been talking. I like this pre-roll. This, this feels much better. Otherwise I'm usually like, okay, now let me press record and we'll this wait. And this is, the this is just the roll. Okay. Yeah, this, this is, we're, we're going. Well, yeah. in that case, greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker and this is the Bitcoin podcast. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, and I am joined by the Bitcoin Talker and the Bitcoin Podcaster, Peter McCormack. That is it, McCormack, right? I always yeah. get confused with the McCormicks versus the McCormacks. 
I'm the saying that of, right. The mix of the Scottish, where the are. Ah, okay, okay. There we go. See, I didn't. My my American is showing here. Uh, well, Peter, it's it's great to have you in the show. You you started in 2017, I believe. You got. I just checked. You you did episode 732 yesterday. Wow, uh, which is insane. Of what Bitcoin mm -hmm. did, I think uh, about a month ago you said you had over over 40 million downloads, which is just insanity. Uh, so thank you for coming on uh, another fucking Bitcoin podcast, as uh, as this one is is colloquially called. But it's it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Well, man, it's, look, it's great to talk to you. I've, obviously, we've bumped into each other a few times at conferences. I can't remember the first one. Was it Lugano? I think it was Lugano. You were you were sitting outside the hotel with a, you know entertaining a crew. There was wine involved. Uh, it was a nice mm. time. Yeah, and then, it was a great uh, conference. Uh, yeah, I saw you in Prague a couple of times. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you and your wife, are the absolute professionals at this. Uh, I'm kind of retiring from that now because uh, people like you and also Joe Hall, you actually prepare and do look like a proper job, whereas I just turn up and go, oh, yeah, so and so is coming on, and I sound like an idiot. Uh, but yeah, we've met a few times. Uh, I think you're great. I think you and your wife are great. Uh, well, soon to be three. Right back at you. Soon to be that. three. I can say that because you've been tweeting out her bump. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's public knowledge now. You know, when we were uh, when we were emceeing Miami, it, she was actually pregnant at that point, but it was still like very early on. It was hush hush. So you know, usually at conferences, uh, we like to imbibe. There's alcohol involved. And so this one was the first one where, you know, people are like offering us drinks or we're, you know, we're around whatever open bar and Carla's just looking at it like, ah, oh, like can't, can't have myself a drink. And people are like, what are you sick? You know, what's wrong? It's just, oh, you know, taking a, taking a sober month, just a, a, so, a sober month. Well, it's a, it's like a sober nine, 10 months, you know, but, uh, that was, uh, that, that was at least a nice little experience. The, the baby has already been to his first Bitcoin conference. He just doesn't even know it yet. That's it. Well, I think you told me secretly in in Prague. We like, we did. She was yeah. She she, she was still Prague. pregnant in Prague. Yeah, I was like, by the way, Car she's knocked up. Like, yeah, she's not getting fat. She's just pregnant. <laughs> yeah, please please don't say anything about her weight. It's totally natural. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, well, and I I, I appreciate uh, <laughs> you were, you told me in Prague you were like I I got something for you. I, I yeah. got I got something that I that I need that I need to send you to all the fathers. And honestly, I was like what is Peter about to send me? Um, and then I, I just received this, uh, this baby manual, which is, which is pretty amazing. I thought that was, uh, it's a nice way for my, my male brain to be able to understand this whole being a father thing. Dude, when, uh, when my son was born, which is coming up to 20 years ago now, which is insane wow. because we obviously look a similar age. Uh, <laughs> uh, someone sent me that book, right? And I, cause, cause my, um, my ex-wife, she had all the all the books, like a stack of these books, and they were so fucking boring, like pictures of women about to give birth, like awful stuff. And I was like, I'm not reading this shit. And then somebody sent me that book, and I was like, oh, no, no, this is for me. So now anyone I like, not anyone, just anyone I like who uh, has got a baby due, I send that to the dude. I mean, it's it's perfect. It's like a little bit different than your uh, your typical like what what is it? What's the classic one? The what to expect when you're expecting or something like what? that. That's like the. Do you have the Haynes car manuals? Is that a thing in America? Mm, I do not. Wait, oh, wait so, like yeah. So the book is based on the Haynes car manuals. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll get you a link and send it to you. But if like anyone's listening, if you Google uh, Haynes car manual and like look on the images. Yeah, I'll just send you a link in the in the chat now, so you can. Oh, perfect. I've actually lost where we are. Here we go. 
Right, where's the ch- where's the chat? Here we go. So if you click on this link, so the Haynes car manuals are you know back in the olden days, people used to fix their own cars. When oh, wow, what a, what a novel concept. Know, it's so weird, isn't it? And uh, and so we had these manuals. My dad would use them, right? He, yeah. And so you have these Haynes car manuals. So the book is based on that. It's like a car manual for babies. I mean, honestly, it's perfect. It's also a, it's a sad thing that nowadays it's like it, the only way you can really like fix your car nowadays is if you're also like a computer engineer because yeah. the majority of what's going in your car. I just saw uh, Toyota is putting out a truck that's like, completely bare bones again it's like starting at 10k or something something reasonable and they're basically like no computers in there like you can put a couple bells and whistles if you want but there aren't a lot of knobs and switches like it's just a truck which is kind of beautiful because i mean not to be too doomsday but like we get an emp anywhere near a major city and like everyone's car except for like one dude who still has a you know early 90s chevy they're they're not moving ever again we're stuck yeah it's it's a it's a scary thing though you know it's uh i don't know makes you makes you crave the perhaps it's nostalgia perhaps it's just a a little bit of doomsday prepper but you're like i need a vehicle that runs without all these modern contraptions yeah i need a i need a car that just runs on petrol i need tins of pineapple and i need my guns exactly And, and preferably like a couple of knives, maybe. I'm a big axe guy myself. Like I, I think that axes are just the they're the perfect tool. Use them as an axe. Use them as a hammer. Use them as a thrown or held weapon. Yeah. Uh, we don't have guns. They're just here, fun. We, just, we have like spoons and forks and stuff. Just yeah, like, a, a spatula, like you yeah. weird, uh, yeah, whatever, you, whatever you pin. need. Yeah, come exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can do some damage with a rolling pin, though. That's uh, you, that's for sure. You, you can take down a tyrannical government with a rolling pin. It's been done before. It's been done before. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I could talk about rolling pins and tyrannical governments all day. But uh, I want to talk about you a little bit, Peter, because uh, you are, I mean, I have to imagine the most prolific Bitcoin podcaster out there right now. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoin podcasts. This is why mine is called another fucking Bitcoin podcast. But yours is the one that I started with. Uh, I still listen to it consistently. Although sometimes it's honestly hard to keep up now that I'm making my own podcast. I'm like, I don't have as much time to listen to other podcasts. This is a bit of a problem, mm. but I think it's been a huge, uh, huge benefit to the the Bitcoin space. It's how so many people have started. I think those dives down the rabbit hole, finding a conversation on what Bitcoin did, but they're like, okay, this is, this is great. You had a whole beginner series You've now done the, the, that whole Broken Money series with Lynn Alden, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great book and a great series there, I think, makes it super approachable for people who maybe don't like reading the, the written words on the page quite as much anymore. But, but you started in, I, I was looking, November 2017. Yeah. So at this point, like we, we know, I mean, that's, that's been a number of years now. And, and mm-hmm. I think we're getting close to answering the question of what Bitcoin did. Uh, I would love to kind of know, though, take a step back and and understand what Peter did. How how did how did Peter get find himself here today from from back then? How did this all get started? Well, I mean, look, I've told it a few times, so like some people may have heard this before. So I'll, I'll do the quick version. But uh, so about a decade ago, I was working in advertising, <coughs> had quite a successful company. 
Just doing well. Yeah, you know, we had a central London office, forty-four staff. Yeah, you know, three million turnover, UK pounds. That's probably about four million dollars at the time. It was going well. Uh, uh, I got married, and then I got divorced very quickly. It was like a very quick turnaround. And I tried to do the whole uh, co-parent whilst commuting to London. It didn't work, uh, and I was falling out of love with advertising anyway because we're just it's just bullshit. Uh, and uh, so I just quit. I just quit, took a, took a year off, um, and about that time, uh, my mum was also sick. My mum uh, had cancer, so I was travelling back and forth to Ireland, and I was running a lot. I was just doing a lot of, like, uh, you know, I went vegan with my mum. I was just doing a lot of things, you know, stuff to just kind of distract myself from the world. And then uh, we wanted to treat mum with cannabis oil, and... Uh, so I was talking to my dad about that. It's like, well, you can buy on this thing called the dark web, but you need this thing called Bitcoin. So we went on Coinbase, uh, bought some Bitcoin, you know, bought some cannabis oil. Didn't didn't work, sadly. Um, and then I had this bit of Bitcoin left. So I was going to go back on Coinbase and sell it. I wasn't really that interested in Bitcoin. Uh, I dabbled in it in 2013 for uh, similar reasons. And um, Sure. And then there was this other thing on there, though, called Ethereum. I was like, oh, what the hell is this? So I just, like, Googled Ethereum. I was like, oh, you know, I was reading all about this new blockchain revolution. It's going to take over the planet. It's like the internet 2.0. So I was like, well, I'm not working, and uh, I've got loads of time on my hands, and I've got some money left over from my agency. So I just I bought everything. I bought Bitcoin. I bought Dash, Monero, every shitcoin going. Uh, Gnosis was one. I probably, there's probably like 100 I bought. Like everything just went up. <laughs> it was like two thousand. I'm a genius. Yeah, I am fucking genius here. And so I'm a, yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. I was having this amazing year where uh, I turned thirty two thousand pounds into about I think it's about one point two, one point three million pounds in about eight Jesus. months. Jesus. I remember one night I went to bed. I woke up. I was like another hundred grand richer. I was like, oh my god, I'm so clever. Yeah. And so, because I had all this money, I had a friend who was living on uh, uh, Venice Beach in LA. So I kept going across to see him. You know, I'd go over for like a week or two and just hang out on the beach and just act like the genius I was. But also during this period, I met this guy called Rich Roll who runs a podcast. He's like this vegan ultra athlete. And um, I, I knew like the uh, trading didn't have legs. And I, and I was just like, well, your your job's cool. You basically just get on planes and go and talk to people and get paid for it. And I was like, this is amazing how do you do it? <laughs> and he was like, well, here's a course, here's the equipment, and uh, it just get on with it. But he did say to me, he said, so many people have come to me and said this, and everyone gives up. Just don't give up. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. So I went back to Justin's uh, place in Venice. I, I went on Amazon. I bought all the equipment. And then I was like, who's in LA? And there was a guy, Luke Martin, who's a bit of a trader. So I messaged him. I was like, yo, dude, I'm going to start a podcast. Do you want to be the first guest? He said, yeah. So I Ubered around his, did that. Went back to the UK, uh, interviewed this guy uh, called Day Trader Nick. That was episode two. And then I saw this picture of this guy on uh, on Twitter who had like this long beard. He had an uh, AR-15 or whatever it is uh, and a, a hat that said, make Bitcoin great again. It was like Jameson Lobb. And I was like, man, oh, yeah. this guy's one cool motherfucker. So I messaged him. I was like, yo, hi, man. I'm, uh, I've just started a podcast. Uh, if I come out and see you, can I uh, interview you and um, – and uh, can you take me to shoot some guns? He was like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, weirdly enough, he was actually in Bedford a few weeks ago. That was such a weird thing six years later to have him in my hometown. But wow. so anyway, I, I did those first three and, and at the end of that 17. Then I didn't do any for a few weeks. And then I, then I did a few more. And then what happened was I ended up, I think it was like eighth or tenth interview. I interviewed Lynn Albrecht. 
Russell Brooks' mum in Austin. Mm-hmm. And after she left, it's like that one really kind of like, that one really hit me. I was like, oh, I, actually, this is kind of important. This isn't just about me and what I want to do. It's about actually getting important stuff out there. And, and so I just kind of made the decision, right, I'm going to give this, I have a go for this and I'm going to just yeah, try and make this come up my career. And and here we are six years. Yes. But pretty much six years later, because I started the show in November 17, six years later. And this is what I've done for six years. Wow. That's, I, I mean, chain of events. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it all uh, starts with vegans in LA, I guess. Uh, you know, it's like, like many great tales, right? Well, the funny thing was when I did that Jameson interview, right? Afterward, he's like, right, we're going to go and get barbecue. And I was like, oh, fuck. So anyway, I went to this barbecue place. I was like, hmm, what can Still I have Still vegan here? at this point? Yeah. So I was like, oh boy, what can I have here? Uh, I think, no, I think I'd gone, I think I'd stopped the veganism, stayed vegetarian and they had like, you know, greens and whatever that weird potato stuff is they have in barbecue places scraps scraps what do they call it you, you mean like like some uh just like like chopped up potato are you, t- are you talking like uh, a potato salad thing. type thing no no whatever anyway i was like this isn't gonna work so i was like so i just had a barbecue with him and stopped being a vegan that day <laughs> so that was jameson lop ended your veganism yeah he uh he meat meat peeled me wow wow i mean that's actually quite a nice claim to fame i mean especially in uh in this space, I think the the number of vegans that I've heard of in Bitcoin, there's a couple. There's, yeah, you know. Macarella. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a tough thing to be, especially at Bitcoin conferences. There's always steak dinners. Just like, like I feel like it, every night. Dripping everywhere. Yeah, like everybody's got pocket steaks. And when they're on stage, it's like they're just taking a little bite of it here and there. And yeah. Man, well, that, that's... Now. That's 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 kind of uh, wild, though. I think the probably the advice that you got of just a lot of people have come to me with this. You know, everybody wants to 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 start something. They see someone that's you know successful in a space. It's like okay, let me let me go try that too. But a lot of people just drop off with it. And I think that's the case with a lot of stuff. It's just uh, it's like that graph of like you know you are here and it's all a flat line, and then you know right after you you quit is when you would have hit the. Uh, that mm-hmm. exponential kind of growth. When when was the when did it really like take off in terms? And I don't even know what in, in the context of how many downloads you have today, like forty million. I don't even know what takeoff felt to you like back then. But was there's there a no, moment there, when you're like no we're moving? No, it's weird. Like I mean, I've got a I literally got a chart here in front of me. I all my downloads. I so I track it all. One thing I will say is I always treated it like a business, pretty much from the start. I was like, if this has got to work, it's got to be a business. Yeah. And so you've got to have a brand. You've got to have you know good quality marketing. You've got to have you know focus on good quality content. Like I studied interviewing for a good few months to try and understand you know, what 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 did good interviewers do. Um, but there's no real moment where you're like, oh my god, this has taken off. You know, you just every month you got a few more downloads than the previous one yeah there's certain things that happen you know the first sponsor you get that phones you up and says oh i'd like to give you some money um, yeah. and I, I can't remember exactly when that was um speaking of sponsors i was just sponsored by bitbox and the bitbox 02 bitcoin only hardware wallet real talk i wish i would have found this wallet sooner it is extremely easy to use it's fast to set up and it's fully open source. Head to bitbox.swiss slash walker and use promo code walker for 5% off. But I, I, I'm going to imagine I spent at least a year, year and a half without making any money. And 
you know, I was still doing the interviews in person, so it was expensive. I think this is what some people don't realize. They, they don't see the start where I would get on a plane to New York, find the cheapest hotel I could get, book three or four interviews. Once the interview's done, go back to my hotel room, edit it, publish it, get up the next day, get on a plane, whatever the cheapest route I could find to get to, I don't know, Ohio, get there and do one interview. I mean, these trips, I used to do seven, eight flights per trip. And I, oh, it, it'd be like New York, Ohio, Portland, LA, San Diego, New York home or something. It would be some weird whatever trip to get all the interviews I'd want to do and like carry my little case around with me. And <laughs> I did that for a good, God, I did that all the way up until COVID. You know, when, when COVID wow. hit, uh, it was just me and my case going everywhere on my own and, you know, going to people's offices or houses or whatever. And it was, you know, so it was a lot of hard work and I was losing money. I mean, it got to the point where, you know, I was about two, I was about two months from, uh, having no money at all i think when my first sponsor came in i actually had to lie to the mortgage company to keep my house i was, I was going to lose my house Jeez. and so yeah it was, it was a real slog so there's no real moment it's just like downloads grow go up and then you know certain things happen like you get certain interviews like getting that jameson lot one or i got charlie lee early on and that felt big or maybe when i got the nick zabo interview i was like wow i've got a nick zabo interview or yeah so there's like moments like that um, and there was well, a moment I mean, after now the, you've interviewed a president. Well, I was about to but, say, yeah, yeah, after like Bukele. So the Bukele ones, like the whole thing was weird in itself, just weird. Um, and my back was busted. I had sciatica. So I was like, oh, to man. do the interview, I couldn't sit down at the time. So I had to, I was, uh, Michael Peterson from Bitcoin Beach, like, raided his cupboard and said look i've got all these different drugs just try them <laughs> and i did so and, and that gave me the hour to sit down and do the interview and um and i, I remember after that interview i got I, the next day i got up uh and i flew to new york to fly home and it was only when i got on the plane in new york because uh yeah i was always flying economy but because my back was so screwed i upgraded on that one i was like well, i'm gonna have a business class flight because i need to lay down you yeah know, the drugs will get me through the <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's there's a, there's actually a photo from when I took the flight from uh, El Salvador to Austin, where I'm laying down on the floor between rows of seats because I cannot sit down. It was it was such agony. But anyway, I I, I was like, I've, this flight to London's too long, so I upgraded to the business flight, and and I just sat down it. And afterwards, I was like, whoa, man, that's wild. That's a sitting president. And yeah, it's just from sitting there one day and going, yeah, do you know what? I want to do a podcast and messaging somebody and then contacting Luke to, you know, wherever that was four, four and a half years later, interview the president. It was pretty wild. I mean, that's, I, I actually, I just, uh, I just rewatched that interview with, with Bukele because you, you've done now, you've done two with two. him, right? Yeah, two. And it was one before, uh, before the legal tender law and one after, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was actually, I noticed because I was just, you know, of course, uh, you know, doing, doing my, my research on, on you again, I noticed, uh, Bukele was, was pretty, uh, he seemed pretty comfortable with you in that first interview. You could tell by the second interview with you, he was like, he was just completely relaxed. Like he, he looked like, and I suppose he was also then after the legal tender law, probably maybe a little bit less stress in his plate, but I mean, how, how was that interview? How did you, how did you find Bukele? Cause he, 
I mean, people have a lot of opinions about him, um, whether they think he's a, uh, a genius who is bringing in the, you know, the hyper Bitcoinized era for nation states, or if he's a dictator who is, you know, uh, doing a heavy handed approach by locking up all these gangsters. I mean, what, what was your read on him? How did you, how did you find that conversation? Yeah. I mean, look, none of us have walked his shoes. Um, no. he's become the president of a third world country, which has a huge gang problem. Uh, one, at one point, the highest murder rate in the world. Uh, it is a drugs corridor in central Amer America. Um, uh, he has big issues to deal with influence from local, uh, bordering countries, influence from America. I mean, never walked those shoes, wouldn't have no idea how to deal with it. Um, what I would say about him is that he had a presence I've never felt from anyone else when he came into a room. Um, and the way he, sometimes he'll look through you, I mean, he, he, he looked through you. It was a, it was a, it's a hard thing to explain, but what, after I left that first, because that first meeting, I just met with him. I didn't actually do the interview at the first meeting. And uh, I just left thinking, okay, there's only a certain type of person who can do this job, and it's someone like that who yeah. who can carry the weight of the world on them. Because you have to make tough decisions. It's like, do I, you know, mass mass incarcerate people, and you know, and all the kind of human rights issues that go with that, all the civil liberties issues that go with that, but reduce the murder rate down to one of the lowest you know, in South America, or do I try and do this through legitimate, whatever we call legitimate, uh, judicial systems, knowing that nothing fucking changes? Yeah. And he's come into a country that has been plagued by dictators, uh, corrupt presidents who've robbed the country blind, um, you know, uh, corrupt political system. Um, I've, I've not walked his shoes, man. Um, I know the country is definitely trajectory-wise. It's doing very well. Economically, it's doing well. It's doing well in tourism. Uh, he's been a great advert for the country. I know there are questions around civil liberties with the incarceration of gang members or anyone with a tattoo. Alex Gladstein's talked about it a lot. But, man, it's a rock and a hard place, right? <laughs> what do you yeah. do? But he did have a presence that was, um, that was something I've never felt with anyone else. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's. Oh, I did kind of shit myself when I asked him if he was a dictator. I, I remember that question. I was like, "Dang, that okay? You went, you just went right for it." Yeah, fuck it. Uh, I had to. Why the not? First one, I got told I softballed him on the first one. Okay, okay, and, so... and then you get called a propagandist for the regime or something exactly. like that. But yeah. that did happen. I, uh, you know, I was getting that first trip when I, I was making. No, is it the second one when I was making the film? I had people like attacking me on Instagram or on Twitter. Yeah, people people in El Salvador who were saying I was doing business with Bukele. I was a Bitcoin yeah. businessman. I was there to do business. I'm there to rob the indigenous people of El Salvador. I mean, it's all, obviously all bullshit. But you know, I was like, so this second interview, I've just I've, I've got to yeah, I've got to be tough, but within like within my lane, <laughs> right? Yeah. With with still uh, all due respect to a sitting president. Yeah, it's a, exactly. That's that's a that's a that's a tough spot to be in. You know, I, I think it's. Uh, it's it's very easy oftentimes for us, and uh, this is certainly not something I uh, I think of Alex Gladstein because he's actually you know doing uh, doing the work. Um, so like when he brings a criticism, I, I, I take that very uh, very seriously. But for a lot of people who uh, do not do the work that Gladstein does, and who just kind of have a knee jerk reaction to someone like Bukele, 
I think it's very easy to have a negative knee-jerk reaction when we have this uh, semblance of legitimate legal action and law and order in the so-called developed world. And as you said, you know, can you imagine being in his place where it's like, okay, keep my country on the same path, keep trying the broken things that don't work, or do something that is really, really radical, and you know, take a, maybe take the country in a different direction. And you know, it's a gamble too because maybe that doesn't work. Yeah, uh, and and it's a gamble he took, and then bringing Bitcoin on kind of the the multiple middle fingers he's given to the IMF. I, I have to just you know enjoy those uh, when I see them because that's y you love to see that. Of course, look, I mean, I think what he's done is amazing. I just cannot opine on certain things which I'm I'm kind of out of my depth or or that I'm lost on. It's like it's like most of these issues, most of these complicated issues in the world that people discuss without nuance on Twitter. If it's Gaza and Israel, you know, when people like take a hard position on one side and I'm sat there thinking, well, I feel sorry for Israelis who've, who've been massacred and I feel sorry for people in Gaza who are under a you know, blockade and bombing. And, you know, these, these, these issues are so complicated and, and I think he's dealing with complicated issues. And like I said, I, I'm not having to make those decisions. I, if, if I was put in the position, I, I'd, I'd crumble. I, I wouldn't have the ability to... <laughs> It takes a strong man to be able to sit in that seat and make those decisions. So, you know, I think you have to say, are the people in El Salvador happy? Yes. Okay. Yep. How do you deal with the civil liberty issues then? How do you deal with the fact that, you know, he has essentially broken the constitution? He, he says he hasn't, but he kind of has. Okay. What is the long-term plan? Is it a third term, fourth term? You know, what happens when things go bad? Are you a benevolent dictator? You know, it's all those kind of issues that right. they deal with. It. But look, there are more experienced journalists now who will be ready to take that hot seat with it. <laughs> yeah, my, my position you, was really the Bitcoin one. You don't think you'll do a, a number three interview? No, I think so. Maybe? I think at the right time. I, I, you know, I would like to do it. I think complete the trilogy. I think the time to do – so I know when the time to do it is. It's after a ball run because after right. a ball run – Everything he's stacked, everything he's done, he will be proven right. You know, if he's stacked, I don't know what he's stacked. If he's stacked 50 million of Bitcoin for El Salvador, he might have 250 million. Or if he's stacked 200 million, he might have a billion. Who knows, right? And, and that's the time to sit down and go, like, well done. Your conviction was strong and you've been proven right. Yeah, that's the time to have that conversation. And if he'll have it, well, I'd absolutely love to go back and do it. Yes. I mean, uh, you've, you've interviewed... Uh some well like sailor for instance who is recently uh he is very obviously being proven right with his strategy i i, I love that sailor interview because uh, uh your son was able Connor. to ask him you know just i, I loved it because you know you're listening to it and he's like do you have any advice you know just a, a very you know honest and, and and simple question and sailor just rattles off that list of you know his basically 10 rules per life and i'm okay. like you like it just what? so flawlessly and i'm like wow that do you do you have an interview? I mean, uh, obviously the Bukele one is kind of like in its own league, like that's a sitting president. Is there another interview that where you've just walked away, like one of your recent ones, maybe that that you've been like, wow, this was uh, this was so much more than I could have expected. Like this was really blew you away from an expectation standpoint. Yeah, but there's been a few like that. Um, yeah, like Lynn Albrook, the first time I interviewed her, it, was, <laughs> it just had a profound effect on me. It was like whatever you class this job in that moment in time, there's certainly part of it was journalism because it was asking important questions and getting information out to people. Of course, the Bukele one uh, was super important. Nick Zabo, just because 
of the pressure of that interview. He he's done one <laughs> interview, kind of kind of one interview ever, and that was with um, uh, Tim. What's his name? Four Hour Work Week. Forget his name. Tim. Oh, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. But but he it wasn't like a one on one interview. He had uh, Naval with him and Naval did most of the answers. So it was kind of like the first one-on-one interview. Everyone wants to know about him. And, and so I, you know, I felt a profound sense of responsibility in that one. And it's a tough one cause I'm not a techie. Okay. Uh, the one I did recently with Hal Finney's wife, Fran Finney. I mean, that was a tough interview. You know, that's a woman who's still deeply in love with her husband. You know, what are we nearly a decade on from when he passed away? Yeah. And, um, yeah, she's. When that interview comes out, you wait until you hear what she's been through because it's horrific. Um, that that's that one's really stuck with me. I mean, most a lot of Bitcoin interviews they just tell me about UTXOs, tell me about twenty one million, right? Yeah, tell me about bonds. It's just like the same. It's, they're not my favorite interviews, and I and there'll come a time where I will stop doing Bitcoin stuff because it's. I'd rather do personal stories. That's why I like making the films. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the, it's the personal stories. Therefore, you know, Fran Finney really stuck with me. Bukele stuck with me because it's about his whole country, the future of his country. Is it like in his hands? Lynn Albrook, because you know, Ross got a double life sentence for 40 years. He he was tried on the kingpin charge, which is just obscene. And so, I mean, I'd have to go back through my back catalogue, but they're all the ones that really really stuck out with me. Another one that just stuck out with me, strangely, in a different way, was the Ted Cruz one, which I did on stage at the um, Texas Blockchain Summit, because um, I was obviously honoured to be interviewing a, a senator. Um, and, yeah, he he goes in, he's a very different person on stage and off stage. He goes into full character. But what really stuck with me is that I think I asked possibly my best question ever in that interview. Um, I said to him about polarization in the US. I said, it's not good. I said, can you can you name me one thing that you think the progressives do well? And he fluffed the answer in some ways. And I said, there wasn't an answer. And he couldn't. And he, 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 refused, to give an, he refused to give an answer, I think. He couldn't turn around and give that answer. And so that really stuck with me because I was like, that's the kind of interview I want to do. I want to do tough questions. Like Sonnenschein. Did you listen to my interview with Michael Sonnenschein? No, I didn't. Oh, you should go and check that one out. The guy from Grayscale. Yeah, I pushed him hard in that one, you know, and, but I reeled him in. I, you know, I, I laid it up. I set everything out and then I just went after him hard. And that, that, that's those, all those interviews I've listed are, are important. Most of the other ones aren't that important. They're, they're useful, right? You say, yeah. oh, you want to learn about Bitcoin. Listen to what Bitcoin did. Listen to the beginner's guide. They're useful. But I think all of those ones were important interviews, and I'd much rather be doing important interviews. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's uh, it's such a good point, especially you know, not just for, for you, what you want to do, but I think that people honestly crave those personal stories those stories that, you know, yes, they're, uh, you know, you have a lot of Bitcoiners who want to hear about nothing but Bitcoin, but those personal stories, I mean, those are still about Bitcoin as well. It's just telling the story uh, through a, a lens that actually has a little more meaning and depth than just, you know, technical jargon or macro jargon. It's it's talking about the people behind it. And I think people crave that, like they want the human side of things. Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. Some some of our podcasts, 
the first 10, 20 minutes, we might not even be talking about Bitcoin. Like Freddie knew. We talked about 80s films for about 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I talked about music with Mark Goodwin for quite a bit. Um, and it's really interesting because you'll go in the comments and like some nerd will be like, I'm here to, I'm only here for about Bitcoin. I don't want to hear about your bullshit life. And I don't want to, I don't care about football. Or they'll put, start, interview starts here and they'll timestamp like 20 minutes in. But, but actually, that's just them looking at the interview from a perspective of what they want out of the world. But when I was studying interviews, uh, when I first started, the, one of the things that said is that you have to be part of it. Your personality has to be part of it because that's what people come back for. You know, even if they say they hate your show, all the guests that are on my show are on other shows, right? Lynn Orton yeah. does everyone's show. Michael Saylor does. Even if they say they don't like you, they're really coming back because they like the way you're structuring it or your personality or your accent or or, or the way you do things. And so you have to be part of It's like Rogan. Rogan's guests appear everywhere else, but I like listening to Rogan yeah. because of the way he does his interviews. I don't like listening to Lex Friedman's guests because I don't like listening to the way he does interviews. And that that's just comes down to personal taste. So you have to build some personality into it. Yeah, no, I I, I feel the same about uh, Rogan and Lex. Uh, Lex has a really impressive repertoire of of interviews uh and you know it's he's a very impressive guy but i i just something i cannot stand listening to his voice to be honest um like it's just yeah it, it, look <sighs> his guests are very yeah very good and, and undoubtedly and i do when i do listen to it i do end up leaving an interview thinking i should love people in the world more <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. i listened to his i listened to his jared Kushner interview recently and you know and the two things stood out to me one it's almost like he doesn't listen to their answers and and then respond to them. He 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 just goes from question to question. But also he he let Jared Kushner off on a lot of things where he should have been really, you know, you you can't push every guest, right? If I interview right. everyone like Sun and Shine, no one's going to come on my show because they're like, yeah, Pete's going to fucking go for me. <laughs> so you can do it occasionally, but Jared Kushner's got questions to answer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, things that he has things that he has um pushed for in middle east specifically mm. in jerusalem um and also there's a certain amount of nepotism to the role he's got in life and he's made a lot of money off the back of some of the things he's done i mean the these things topics should be explored and i think lex interviewed him like a friend yeah i mean maybe that's uh that's part of that Lex Friedman charm. Uh, just, uh, I'm going to ask you this list of questions. Maybe most of them are pre-approved already. And we're just going to, you know, run through, run but through the list. And, that, uh, dude, I know. Say no. Like, so when, when we did the Sun and Shine interview, which by the way, I was amazed they asked to come on. They asked for the question. So he asked you, he asked you to come on. Well, his PR team did. So I think they fucked okay. up. Um, <laughs> but they asked for questions in advance. I was like, you can't, you're not getting the questions in advance. There's, that's not happening. I'll give you some topics. Yeah, but you're not having the questions. No, no one has the questions. And if someone turns around to me and says, "Well, I went to ask," okay, see you later. Yeah, you're not yeah. having the questions. It's that's not how this works. This isn't a PR yeah. tool for you. This is an interview. And if I'm pushing you hard, you've just got to suck it up and give some good answers. Yeah, try to uh, be prepared for anything. And I mean, you should be ready to answer those kind of questions. Uh, and I mean, well, I guess you know, Peter. Perhaps that's a that's a nice transition um, because. Uh, speaking of just answering tough questions and you know not being prepared in advance, yeah, you you know uh, I appreciate you taking this because you're always on one side of the mic, um, and now uh, I think people want to hear about you. 
and there's also it you. Really does. I, I don't. I think. <laughs> I think they'd be surprised. They, they, they. Well, you know what, Peter? To be honest, there's a lot of people that just they want to see you. They want to see you take die. an L. They want to yeah, see you die. You know, you, you, uh, dis, disingenuous cuck. You like, yeah. oh, how you, you know how could you? Cuck, you yeah, government well, loving, f- big you, farmer loving, just die. You know, I, I love, I love that, uh, that meme you post. I think it's pinned on your profile now. Like how yeah. uh, people in the U.S. see me versus how Brits see you, and you yeah. know, one is basically the the super leftist, uh, no. And the other one is Alex Jones. And I, I think that that's pretty perfect. Cause you know, you, uh, like early on the pandemic, you know, people have, have gone back and they've, you know, you've, you've got millions of screenshot receipts from people. And I don't think you delete anything either. You've kind of left up your, uh, your record of all, uh, all the <laughs> yeah. things you've said, which is, which is a good an thing. Archive you of know? My stupidity. Yeah. But you know what? That's like, I think, uh, an archive of stupidity, uh, also is a way to show growth, right? Because, our feelings, our opinions change. Hopefully, our principles, the way we approach things, stays uh, the same or or in, is enhanced. But I, I'd love for you to talk through a little bit to uh, to give something to the uh, the Peter McCormick haters, uh, McCormack, excuse me, I almost uh, called you a Scott. Uh, the McCormack haters out there who think you know you were pro lockdown, you were uh, you were pro vaccine. You were calling people uh, conspiracy theorists, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where the, true. the the state. The, yeah, no, it is true. And mm-hmm. but I also know because I've I've listened to you a, a good amount. You do not uh, you do not feel that way. Your opinions have changed on the matter. Can you yeah. can you walk me through that that cycle a little bit of uh, let's say uh, statist cuck to uh, you know what what whatever uh, rage against the machine that as I see on the the shirt there that you are now. Uh, who you know? I they believe kind of machine. machine. I was I was gonna say, didn't they have require vax uh, like vax cards at one of their shows or something? Yeah, they rage for the machine now. I, I was somebody was saying it the other day to me, and I was like, yeah, but look, the thing is, when I listen to the songs, they still crush. That first they album do. still crushes. I cannot stop listening to that that rage yeah. machine. Um, yeah, they were a bit. Oh look, look, I mean, look, look. Should we deal with the status cut thing? Because uh, let's deal with pro- the status cut. Let's. I've been fairly the elephant in the room. Uh, so, yeah. so my my view on government is it's like quite simple. I think it's a natural monopoly, right? So, uh, I well, I have historically and traditionally been pro democracy uh, because the places that don't have democracy have tyranny, right? There is only one country close close to libertarian, which is Somalia, and I haven't seen many uh, libertarian Bitcoiners moving there recently, um, and so. The democracy we have and the freedoms we have, whether it's in the US or the UK, they've been fought for over years. You know, you kicked us out of your country for more freedom. Um, And, you know, they've been fought for. Democracy's been fought for. And so I've always been a supporter of that, pro-democracy. Does it mean I think government's good? No, I don't trust anything that comes out of their fucking mouths. I think they're complete liars, most of them. I think they're uh, career grifters and they're full of shit, and I've learned more and more of that over the years. But but if you wipe out democracy, you may have tyranny, which could be worse. Some people argue in other places it might be better. Maybe in Singapore it's better. But generally speaking, I, I'm pro-democracy. Um, it doesn't mean I am pro the current government. It doesn't mean I'm pro high taxation. But I just have to walk through the steps logically. Let's just say 
big red button tomorrow. Big red button. Government goes away. We've got no taxation, no borders. Yeah. We've got that libertarian world. What is going to happen? Well, what is going to happen is groups of people are going to have to get together to organize defense, security, and protection because we know the world is full of very dangerous, violent people who will take shit from you if they want to. I've been to very scary. I've been to some of the scariest places. I've been to uh, at the Barrios in Caracas, which was once the murder capital of the world. Um, I've been to places where people don't give a shit. They will literally shoot you for <laughs> fucking five bucks, right? Um, so you're going to have to have some form of security. Well, how does that work? Well, is it a community we get together and we build a security? Do we put up a fence and build a citadel? How does that work? What happens if the place next door attacks us? Well, we have to build bigger security. How are we going to govern that security? Well, we'll have to elect someone. Like, you you will rebuild government. However localized yeah. it is to begin with, you will rebuild government and it will... So I just believe government's a natural monopoly, which is why you have 200 states in the world and you don't have any really libertarian places that exist at all. Because the problem I see... Nick Carter put it to me. He said the problem with libertarianism is that you... It's... For... for for a libertarian reality to, to exist, you have to accumulate power to put in place, which is antithetical to the ideas of libertarianism. And I kind of, that kind of resonated. I thought through that a lot. I thought, yeah. But it doesn't mean I'm anti-libertarian. I actually, I fundamentally agree with every libertarian, more so than I agree with anyone's pro-democracy on their view on how the world should be. But that's how it should be. It's not how it is. And so I just think it's, they're all well, they're, you know, they're nice theories, good ideas. They make me think of. You ever seen uh, Goodwill Hunting? Mm-hmm. You know the guy in the uh, in the bar when uh, he's chatting up Mini Driver, and there's the guy there with the long hair, and mm-hmm. he throws the apples up at the window. It makes me think of that guy, like the theor- theoretically great ideas that in practice doesn't work. And when when they say, "Well, where has it worked?" They go, "Well, there was an island off the coast of um, Gambia in 1722, which was." It's like, come on. We've got countries here with hundreds of millions of people. How is how just practically talk me through how this is going to work? That doesn't mean well, government's good. I think government's shit. Should we make government smaller? Yes. Should we pay less tax? Yes. Should we focus on localism? Yes. But let's not burn down the freedoms we fought wars for, because you know because some guy in Sweden thinks um, that it's uh, coercive to have taxation. You've got to be practical about these things. Also, when you have a breakdown, go into any region where there's a breakdown of government. See what happens first. Women get raped and killed, right? People get stolen from and anarchy, uh, 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 anarchy (laughs) exists. And, and, and so we just have to be realistic about this. But what I do think I actually, I've thought this for a long time. I think a strong libertarian political party would be good because the problem we have with the left and the right, we have this swing back and forth, but government just gets bigger and bigger. I think a strong libertarian party could fight the big v small and reduce the size of government. And so, yes, I'm a status cuck because I think, uh, uh, um, I think government is a natural monopoly. I think it will exist anyway. And I think if you try and burn it down, you'll probably end up replacing it with something worse. And so, yes, I'm a status cuck. But I also think I'm just – it's just – it's just not a naive approach. It's it's a, like a rational approach. Okay, so that, that's that's fair. One one thing I would say, I remember uh, you were talking about your your time in Lebanon recently, yeah. and the fact that obviously a rule of law and any sort of most government has pretty much broken down there. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet you were talking about all of the kind of local, uh, the little mini grids that they were setting up in Lebanon, yes. um, in, you know, uh, downtown Beirut. And the fact that people were making it work, they were getting absolutely no oh, help of oh, any kind. Oh yeah. You're good. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. You're good. You're good. So there, people in Lebanon were getting no help of any kind. Obviously they have been literally stolen from by the government yep. and through the banks, but they were, they were making it work. Uh, and, and that as an example of, okay, people do have the ability to, to organize. Hmm. Now I see, I see your point also about, uh, you know, let's say the naivete of, uh, libertarian ideals. If we take them at a completely theoretical value. Right. Mm -hmm. But I also see, at least from my perspective, I, I don't know what I would what I would call myself. Um, I, I I dislike labels uh, for for my politics uh, because reluctant I, I, status. I call myself okay. Well, re- so uh, reluctant status. That's so uh, that's the, that's the parentheses outside of the status cock part. Um, but you know, I I think that ultimately government should be, and I think you and I probably, as you said earlier, we we agree on this. Government should be as small as possible. Yes. Like the ultimate purpose of of the state is to provide for collective defense, right? It's supposed to, the the purpose of the state and of the law is to provide for collective defense against the plunder of your private property. Like Mm -hmm. at its core, that is the state, that is the law, that is what is supposed to be. Obviously it has been perverted from that. Uh, The law has been perverted. The state has been perverted. And, you know, we can, uh, you know, uh, of course, go go deep philosophically into how the broken money has led to that expansion of the state which i think it it is uh very much true like the the state when is left unchecked when the money is left unchecked and so i i wonder i wonder how much we're going to see a shrinkage of governments as they just become completely insolvent like the sad thing is, Ooh, is that when I these do. states, yeah, and, and, and but the, the the terribly sad thing is, is that power loves a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. And we will see, I think, a lot of nation states fail in the coming years as they just run out of money. And you know what? People just like just about every revolution is a monetary revolution. Mm-hmm. Like, why why did the French Revolution happen? It wasn't because they just all of a sudden they magically didn't have food. No, it's because the French assignat was completely devalued over and over and over again. Um, And then the, you know, they bring out the guillotine and then the ones who brought up the guillotine to start ended up finding themselves in the chopping block at the end anyway. And so I think that revolutions are usually kicked off because people are pissed off about their economic conditions. They're pissed off because their money breaks and they say, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And so I think there's a natural cleansing that happens of the state. But then the the thing is, what what fills that vacuum? A lot of well, time, Le- you know, Lebanon has that cleansing right now, right? And so, and that's really interesting to see. It was really interesting to see. You still got soldiers with guns, manning checkpoints and manning borders. You still got Hezbollah on the Israeli border, uh, protecting that region. You still have police and security forces, but there's no one functionally to deal with. Uh, uh, interfering like there's no one functionally able to create the bureaucracy that stops business happen and that's the really interesting part that's the mini grids they're doing business they're using whatever currency they want and and it's super interesting here like because i see it where i am right i own multiple businesses whether it's the podcast the bar the football club there's a building that's just become available in bedford right that i really want to buy it's a 
It's a block of flats with a shop front underneath. And the reason I want to buy it is I wanted a shop front. They're trying to turn it into like a Vegas slots thing on Bedford High Street, which would look shit. And I want to put a nice cafe in there. And so the lease is expensive, but the building's up for sale. So I've looked into it. And it's, it's a tough buy. It's a lot of money. But it's made even worse by that I've got to pay the stamp duty, which is taxes. There's all these like bureaucratic things that get in the way of me buying it that makes it harder to do business. But same with my bar. There's so much bureaucracy and so much tax I pay. And, you know, I've been lucky that I have the excess funds I can do these things. But I think of the excess funds I would have with much lower tax, say half tax, say I'm paying 50%, say it's 25%. I could create double the business I have, yep. employ double the people. And I know I'm going to be a better allocator of capital than the government. It doesn't mean I'm a zero tax person. What I what I am is a stay the fuck out of business. Stop interfering with my business. Stop telling me all these basic bullshit things I need to do that I don't. I think I care about look the things that I regulate the things that if I fuck up somebody dies or gets maimed, I'm with you on that. Regulate that, fine. Regulate building, you know, construction. We've seen what happened in China without building regulations. Ai Weiwei did a, like a famous. Uh, art installation based on that after the earthquake yeah. and like, look I get all that bit right but stay the fuck out of business let me just do business you know protect our borders be as small as possible stop interfering and stop stealing from me look I support all of that I'd love to get us to that but but I would say to people how are you going to get us there so otherwise like What's the point of reading all these libertarian books and listening to these libertarian podcasts? Like, what are you going to do to change it? Because I don't believe Bitcoin's going to take us there alone. But I do agree with you that these states are going to collapse under the weight of their debt. I mean, we've got gov- we've got local councils in the UK going bankrupt. Birmingham, I think, has gone bankrupt. <laughs> they they are going to go bankrupt, and you might have a currency collapse. But if we don't change the system the way it works all that will happen is we will rebuild the same thing again so structurally we have to rebuild things we have i don't know the answers but what i do know is that like a rule of law is important law and order is important base rules that we can agree on are important like like don't don't hurt people and don't steal their stuff yeah yeah don't hurt people don't steal their stuff but don't build shit that like will kill people, <laughs> and you know there's, there's base stuff we can do. Uh, government is too big. It is way. I mean, here in the UK, it's too big. Like, I'm I'm a I'm a like I said, just a reluctant statist that wants it reformed into a better way. A, a, a reluctant statist who also admittedly wants it smaller because yeah, I, I think that cooler. that's. I mean, that's really the thing, right? It's like the. Because because the government builds a lot of stuff that kills people too. Um, I mean, if you even look at the base layer of money itself, it's like okay, uh, for every um, you know you know however many thousand people that are thrown into poverty each year because the price of living uh, cost of living has gone through the roof because they've inflated the monetary base, that literally leads to people dying. That leads yeah, to suicides. That le- you know like that is that is death at the caused by the base layer. Um, but, but so I, I, I do say- think. Yeah, well, go ahead. I to interrupt you is that the same thing happens everywhere, all around mm. the world, and so that says to me that this is a this is a problem of the the, the human organism. <laughs> it's the way we make decisions. It's the greed within us. The the way we structurally build things. Look, Bitcoin can help with that absolutely for sure. I fundamentally believe that. But even in the hyper Bitcoinized world, we're still going to require certain things, some amount of law and order, some amount of structure. And I believe that will be centralized. I don't see a world where it's decentralized. 
It might, and, 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 and I'm okay with that. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm absolutely fucking wrong. But I also don't know if we hyper-Bitcoinize and get rid of sovereign currencies. I don't know if Bitcoin just stays as an asset alongside it, like a check and balance on those things. I think that honestly, the we're not going to see the end of all fiat currencies, uh, certainly not in our lifetimes. Uh, my my opinion on the matter is that we will likely see in the coming decades, governments start to say, okay, uh, we have our, our national currency and it is backed by Bitcoin at, and we will keep it at this exchange rate. You know, we like it's, you won't be able to do that with something like that's already an established fiat currency because it's just, it's too far in the hole. Like you're, you're not gonna, yeah. you know, you're not gonna stop the flow at this point. But I think that with the, the new, there will be new fiat currencies that emerge after we see collapses and those have a chance. And I think that if you have a check on the creation of money, again, at that base layer, you at least have a chance to keep the state small. Hmm. You have a, because then, you know, really it's like, you're, you want to pay for something, you got to do it with taxes and you're only raising taxes to a certain point before people say, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, you're, you're, you're done. And I think people so are waking I, up to this yeah. dude. Like, oh yeah. You know, the, the funny thing about doing a podcast for six years is you're learning in public. You're, you're, and if you're transparent, your evolution is there for everyone to see. Like everything you, you experience, every stupid question you ask, every stupid <laughs> answer you give, it's there. Yeah, people follow follow that. And for me, you know, when I first discovered Bitcoin, I had never even heard of libertarianism. Like I was a indoctrinated status because that's all I knew. Like this is how the world worked. I didn't know any alternative. And then I discovered Bitcoin and I was like, oh, there's some alternatives. Well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, but that's kind of cool. And then you go through this journey. I mean, COVID was a great one, right? So when the, I mean, I was pro lockdown, but let's have the caveat. I was pro lockdown for about two weeks. Okay. And in the build up to that, I, uh, I'd interviewed a doctor, one of my friends who's a doctor who was working at one of the hospitals in London. He, the, the interview's out there. Anyone can listen to it. Mm -hmm. And he talked about the fact that, um, they had some people come in that became a trickle that became an emergency. He said they were just very quickly overrun with people who could not breathe and who were dying. And, and he was in tears in this interview. And so when they announced a the lockdown, I was like, yeah, that makes total fucking sense. Lock, lock everyone down. Shut everyone down for a couple of weeks. Let's fix this shit. Let's get some, you know, let's understand what we're dealing with. And, and by the way, that had followed what happened in Italy, which was, you know, which was the first country to be hit really hard. And then logic comes in. And afterwards, and you're like, oh, shit, but like, you can never stop this thing. It's a virus. At some point, right. you open up, and everyone's going to get it anyway. And and if you lock people down, you're going to affect their mental health issues. And so, like, you know, I kind of learned my lesson after the fact with that. Um, and I've apologized. I said, look, I got I called that wrong. Um, I don't think I started the lockdown. I don't think I had any impact <laughs> on it happening or not. But but maybe it's a collective thing. A collective group of people like me who support it is the problem. Yeah, and, right. and that was an experience I went through. Same with. Um, a little, a little bit different with the, the with the vaccinations. Well, people say they're not even a vaccination. Look, I didn't get my kids vaccinated. There's no fucking chance they were having that. When I got my first ones, because I wanted to go to Ireland and see my dad, but I wasn't worried about them. Like I've had all kinds of vaccinations, dude. I've, you see some of the drugs I've taken in the places I've taken in my uh, old life, right? I was not scared of a vaccine, and 
look, I know there's been vaccine injuries and people have died and that's fucking awful and people were coerced into taking it and it was bad. And, you know, I, again, I put out some stupid tweets with regards to that. Um, but it's learning in public. Yeah. You know, I, w anything I've ever said publicly, I've honestly felt that's the right opinion at the time. I've, I back myself and I always back myself to say, you know what, I called that wrong. And, and I challenge anyone to go through their life with every major situation that happens in the world in their life to call everyone right. If they do fair play to you, because it's fucking hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a, I, I appreciate that you own what you now see as mistakes because everybody thinks they're right in the time. Right. I mean, a lot of people who would probably uh, criticize you for your lockdown stance, forget that those lockdowns and the initial trillions of dollars in the U S of money printing started under Trump like the you know then they you know then they're still like you rah rah maga forgetting yeah. that you know he is a part of that same swamp even though he likes to pretend that he's not and so and i do think uh you know i am all for uh consenting adults doing whatever the fuck they want with their own body and not being coerced into doing it mm -hmm. so like i'm i'm not judging anyone for what they want to do but, but, uh, but and, the, the nuance is missed on that because yeah, whilst I was like, yeah, I'm getting vaccinated. I've got no fear. I, I did it with a, uh, a tin foil hat on. I got my vaccine with a tin foil <laughs> hat on. Like, I wasn't worried. Uh, and I also, there was a period of time, I put out this tweet saying it's now a pandemic of the uh, unvaccinated because at the time, I, I know, but I'd read an it's article. It's okay. You're owning it's, it, no, no, no. I, You know, I'd read the research, and the research was saying the majority of the people coming into the hospital that time, sick and dying, were unvaccinated. That's just what the evidence said. And so... You know, again, in hindsight, probably jumped too in too deep too quickly. You know, I've learned that I try not jump in too deep too quickly sometimes now just because of that. But these aren't things where I'm like, ha, huh, I'm going to craft this tweet and then hopefully someone's going to get that vaccine they didn't want. Pa -ha -ha. It's, I believed it at the time, right? Um, you know, and then more evidence comes out and you're like, fuck, we've been fucked over. We've been lied to. It's all bullshit. And that's that's a hard thing to go through because it you it's a, it's a system that you've spent decades believing is you know an honorable correct system and now you've yeah. you know you've looked behind the veil and it's all fucking bullshit and and well, so yeah, the best thing I... best you can do is come out and say look i was wrong this is what led me to this point this is why i got it wrong and i'm sorry and i will do better i think that that humility is something that is uh desperately lacking from the discourse in general like people are so afraid to admit like hey i fucked up i was wrong like yeah i at the time i thought i was right now i i know that i'm wrong like, i if more people took that approach uh we would have a uh a much more tolerable public discourse than we do yeah. but i mean you see even in like in the media i think there's a people uh i've seen kind of treat you like you're a like you're a, a jimmy fallon type of guy, like literally like a paid Pfizer shill, like sponsored by Peter, you know, Peter McCuckmack sponsored yeah. by Pfizer. Like, dude, and I, I'm so that guy, apparently, like, that's a different level. Apparently I was paid by Pfizer whilst also being a spook for the government. Wait, wait, I, you, you cut out for a moment. So I need you to repeat that one. So, so I've been accused of being a government spook and I've been accused of being uh, a paid uh, shill from Pfizer. I always said, look, anyone can go through my bank accounts. I don't give a fuck. I've got nothing to hide. No, I just thought that I thought it was right at the time. It's just is what it is. You know, it's just, these are mistakes. It, so to, to the, to the 
Peter McCormick is a statist cuck critics. You just heard him say these are mistakes uh, and he is owning them. So uh, and I will make more of them. And, and, and there you go, you know, but you know, I, I can't imagine that you would be pro lockdown again. Uh, yeah, and it's again, a tricky for, one. It's a tricky it, one. No, no, let, let me, again, because nuance yeah, is super important. Um, if uh, Ebola, if there was an outbreak of Ebola in my kid's school, am I going to send my daughter to school? Am I fuck? She's coming home. And if there's an uh, outbreak of Ebola in uh, my village, am I locking down my family? Fuck yeah, I'm locking down my family. And uh, but there you have a personal choice about what you're going to do with your family versus a state-level decision, eh? Yeah, well, I'm coming to that. Listen, look, <laughs> if there is an outbreak of an Ebola, if you go and look at the outbreaks they've had in, uh, of Ebola in the various parts of Africa, they have to have very strict quarantine and lockdown yeah. procedures because this shit moves quick and it moves fast. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, I am anti-lockdown, but I can see a scenario where certain things in certain parts of the world, they make total sense. An Ebola outbreak makes sense because yes. you know, when somebody, when somebody, uh, we've had it when uh, a nurse, I think, came back from Africa and they realized on the flight she was sick and they took her into hospital, they lock her down. That is a decision. <laughs> they lock her down because you do not want an outbreak of Ebola in the country, right? Because, you, what is it, 90% fatality rate or something? Yeah. Bleed through your eyes. That's a that's a reality. And now I'm not doing a Sam Harris here saying if the circumstances are I'm just saying yeah, right. I can see the circumstances where they might happen and I'm like, yeah, that makes total fucking sense. And yes, in an ideal voluntary world, we all voluntary but I'm just saying you've got to be realistic. No, no. Well the difference between of, if you have an outbreak yeah. of Ebola in London, they're fucking locking that shit down. Yes. But the difference between you and what Sam Harris was saying is Sam Harris is using a hypothetical to justify his prior stance versus you saying, no, my prior stance was wrong. Yeah. But in the future, I can see that if something like Ebola was to break loose in at a large scale, uh, then that could perhaps justify that. So I think those are two very yeah. different things. Sam Harris is just like, well, imagine if COVID would have been this. See, I was basically right still. And it's like, oh, Buddy, I think you you lost the plot there, and and that's yeah, the no, problem. A guy like that refusing to admit that he's wrong, being part yeah. of that established, uh, you know, the anointed uh, thought leaders that say, "No, well, we did what we had to do," you know, and and I think that's a that's a dangerous a dangerous path that well, when just, when the anointed can't be wrong. I think what it is is what, what's come out is that the people who are making the decisions were in incompetent with the data they had. Mm -hmm. And if the, and and also actually had false data as well, um, yeah. And you know, led a lot of us to believe things which weren't particularly true. Yeah. Um, so look, it, look, it, it, I think it was a tough time for a lot of people. Uh, I, I don't envy the people in government having to make the decisions they had to make because I have no doubt, even if, if say the UK government hadn't locked down and more people had gone to hospital, we can't avoid the fact like people died. People got sick from this, and, oh, yeah. and and if more if more people had died because they hadn't locked down, they would have been hammered it anyway. And so governments always tend to take the safest option, right? Even if it's the wrong one, uh, unless they're bombing you know, people in the Middle East, um, right? That, so, that's just always the option for at least Western governments. It's like, well, what, what do we do here? I guess more bombs, and then they're like, well, give this guy a Nobel Prize. He deserves yeah, it. Exactly. I mean, I just I'm glad I'm not the person who actually has to make the decision because. I'm not very good at those. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope that neither of us uh, ever have to, to make that sort of decision. Uh, but yeah, it's a, I, I appreciate your, your perspective on this because again, I think that it, 
most people have difficulty admitting when they are wrong about even little things. Um, and when it comes to something big that they've made as, let's say, I think the problem is that people make their choices too much a part of their identity. Mm. And they say that, you know, now, now I'm like, I, I was pro lockdown at the beginning and I was pro mask and now I am a masker for life. And like, like there's this weird subsection of Twitter that like I'll occasionally, the algo will throw me something and it'll be like these people that are still like testing all the different masks. And like, I have my kid in a, I don't even know, XYZ 425, you know, automatic respirator. And, and he says it doesn't even hurt that much. And it's like some four-year-old kid with like this giant gas mask on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is genuinely broken some people. Yeah, like it has broken them. Some people also don't know what it's like to have the internet come after them, right? It's, it's not yeah. a great experience. So, so before even all this shit happened, so when when COVID first started to happen, I was still traveling with work, right? And I remember when I hit South America, hit Bolivia, and you just started to see the occasional person in airports wearing masks, right? Mm -hmm. Got back to the UK, and it, the lockdown was about to get announced, and Erdogan in Turkey suddenly announced that he was uh, uh, trying to get rid of they've got an immigration issue in the country because they're the access to Europe. So he was basically started busing immigrants to the border with Greece. He wanted people to leave. And I was like, shit, I've got to go and film this. So, yeah, we knew lockdown was coming. I was like, if I don't get on the flight today, I might miss it. So I did, jumped on the plane, went, you know, went out to a refugee camp, feel, like followed everything that happened. Then when I came back, I came back, back to the lockdown, right? Um, and I went into London because I was like, well, what's, what are all the homeless people going to do? Like if they're locking down. So I went out with a camera and my mic, me and my son, we just went out and started interviewing people. And I put a, like a photo and a video up on Twitter. People were going fucking crazy with me. Like, what are you doing? Why are you not wearing a mask? Why are you out in the street? He's like, and I was like, shit, well, maybe I've misjudged this then. So I got, I got kind of hit on both sides. I got hit for <laughs> not taking it serious enough. And then I got hit for taking it too seriously. And that's the problem in the world. It's like what, whatever position you take, part of the world of the internet is going to disagree with you and come after you. And so in the end, you might as well just be honest. Like, this is what I think now. And if you think the same in the future, great. And if you, if you don't, then just say, well, I've changed my mind and this is why. And, and, and that, I, I, even if that means you've got people like Dick Whitman coming after you all the fucking time, I had to block that guy because he's fucking annoying. But if, even if you've got those people coming after you all the time, you say, well, look, at least I'm honest. This is who well, I am. You know, uh, I, I think that it's, it's also good. Uh, personal experience. Uh, I, I've never met Dick, but I, I, I like him in, and he's, uh, I've granted, I've also never had people come after me. Um, so, you know, I, what I will say is we do need people who are going to always perhaps be, uh, be a little bit antagonistic. I think that some antagonism is actually very good and healthy because mm -hmm. it makes you check yourself a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, the sad reality is that the people who really need to check themselves rarely do, uh, few people who are in power are so introspective as you're being here, which yeah. is just the sad state of the world. So I, I will argue for a little bit of antagonism, you know, that being good. I mean, antagonism is, is uh, the same characterization that, you know, uh, the toxic maximalists uh, get for, you know, saying, listen, your shit coins a scam. Uh, you should, you should get out of that. And so, you know, there, there is a place and also a, uh, a benefit to antagonism. Now, antagonism just for the sake of antagonism. Well, that's, that's my a different problem. story. That's so, a different story. Yeah, look, Walker. I don't mind if someone's like comes at me occasionally, or even then jumps into my DMs and go, "Look, Pete, I think you got this wrong. This is bullshit." Like if Dick was like that, but what he is, he's he's one of many. There's like the clones. It's just like everything I do say 
or put out there they fucking hate and it makes them furious and they're just like it's just all attack and i said look if i feel like i can have a conversation with somebody and get somewhere with it even if it's me apologizing cool but if it's just like uh, i just have to block it because i'm like my plate's full i've got a lot on i don't have time to sit there all day there on twitter fighting and argue with people and and i can't i don't have the time for someone who's only antagonistic because it's like what do you want out of this what, what you know what are you getting out of this and what am i getting out of this but if it's if it's a conversation where it's like look i disagree with you on this and i can go yeah i disagree we can get somewhere if it's, if it's productive i'll have that conversation all, all, all the time but i just don't have the time for it man my like I, I get up at six in the morning and most days I'm working till like 11 o'clock at night with like some gaps in the middle. I'm busy. <laughs> I don't have time for it. Yeah, well, you, you, you have, uh, you have quite a bit on the plate now besides, uh, the podcast, obviously you have, you're now doing multiple, uh, your follow the money series that you're expanding on. You had just a few weeks ago, published the one from Argentina. You're working on one from Lebanon too. Yeah, we're yeah. editing Lebanon, hoping that to be out early December, and then early December I'm in Africa making one, and then January I'm going to be in Canada making one. Wow! Oh, Canada is uh, so interesting. So we've got uh, some interesting locations, and now Canada has made the list. It's a uh, yeah. things are weird there right now. Yeah, someone I, went mental at me. Someone sent me like a really aggressive email the other day saying everything you're saying about Canada's wrong and you're sound ignorant. I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure I can see exactly what's happening in Canada right now. Yeah, like I, I mean, and and you China. can hear about it from actual Canadians too, who yeah. say, yeah, like Canada We're used fucked. to just be kind of like this this quiet upstairs, uh, you know, upstairs neighbor, uh, and now all of a sudden it's just it's it's very strange. And and Fidel Castro's son up there is a I know. <laughs> He, he's a he's a weird one, man. Yeah, that's a oh, oh, that's man. a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah, that is a whole rabbit hole. We could do an hour and a half on that one. But yeah, uh, yeah. Listen, no, I'm going to go out there. I want to I want to revisit the trucker story. I want to go back and nice. speak to people in Ottawa, people who protested, but people anti-protest. I'm just going to say, like, how do you reflect on this? How's what was the impact on Canada? How's Canada changed since? What happens if this happens in the future? Because there was certainly an authoritarian bent to the attack on the right. Like the right to protest is a fundamental pillar of democracy. Yes. If you cannot protest, you cannot you cannot tell the government that you disagree with them. And to me, that was a really authoritarian attack on democracy. And I disliked it a lot. So I, I want to go out there and I, I want to revisit the story. So that, that's what I'm hoping to do in January. So people are like, why are you going to January? It's so fucking cold. I was like, because that's when the fucking protest was. I want to go there when it was cold as it was for them. I'll get a big yeah. coat. But that's, what, that's where I want to go. Nice. Well, I, I'm, I look forward to that. And I mean, you and you've got, uh, in addition to all that, you are also obviously you have real do I No, I'm not a uh, rail. I'm not a it's, it's real. Okay, so real. so everybody takes the real, you knew yeah. what the question was again, yeah. my, you know, I still think of it as soccer. Like real Madrid. Um, got it. Okay, so everybody just adopts this the Spanish way. Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, you know, I won't ask too many questions about it. You know, I've actually I've got oh, my, so uh, we're the only I've, team out. My, 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 my Bedford. Well, we're the only team outside of Spain who are Real or something. It's all Spanish teams. So it's Real Madrid, Real Betis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, it's it's interesting. But so you now, I just saw. Uh, I think in the past week or in the past two weeks, like Bulgaria's oldest club, yep. and then one in Austria as yep. well have like very publicly. One. Is there another? Oh, four I didn't even now. know. They're amazing. I mean, this. So did did you talk with any of those? Like the the people working with those teams, like did they reach out to you and say, "Hey, we're looking at doing this"? You know, 
Yeah, they all, all of them did. I spoke to them all. Um, Amazing. And obviously, I think, great idea, rising tide, little boats. Um, it was important to me to be the first once I had the idea and I had to be the first. But, like, I want I want everyone to do it. Of course I do. It yeah. makes total sense. Even if it's – even if, if eventually it's uh, anti-competitive for us, like, if a massive team – like, we're at this advantage now because we're probably the only team in the UK with a Bitcoin treasury, but it's not much. We've got, like, five and a half Bitcoin in it, right? Yeah, it's not bad. It's not but, you know, a man you could come in and buy 5,000 Bitcoin, right? So right. I, I obviously want to outlast. I want to, I want to be the first competitively. But realistically, if a big team wants to do it, I support it because I believe everyone should do it. I think it's the right thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, all four of those, all three of those teams, to me, it's, I call it the cheat code. I mean, I constantly say this. It's, it's a, it's a yeah. cheat code. It gives you access to a bigger audience, bigger sponsors, new revenue models. It protects you. It protects your income long term. And so I think it, it's a good thing to do. Um, I have a slight advantage over them in that I have a podcast, which lots of people listen to. So, and we right. were the first. So we had first mover advantage because we're, I think, unfortunately for them, we are the Bitcoin team. They are also Bitcoin teams. And I don't Fair mean enough. that disrespectfully. And maybe one of them will take the crown because we were the first, right? And then secondly, just having the podcast, doing all the events, you know, I, I can harass all the Bitcoiners to follow my team as well. I think we've well, got flag. the conference now, Cheat Code Conference. It's coming up this yeah. spring, right? April. I, April. I like the approach to that of, okay, we'll have a conference day. And then the next day, let's not pretend. Let's just, let's go have a good time. Let, yeah. You know, because that's what, it's what ends up happening anyway. And a we lot did of these last things. Last year, Walker, last year, we, we had 150 people come in with Jeff Booth, James Lavish, Lawrence Lepard, Ben Arc, yeah. right? They all came in on a Friday night. Well, Friday afternoon, we had like six hour live podcast. And then we all went down, uh, went to my bar and got drunk. And then we woke up the next day and went and watched a football match. And everyone had a great time. And no one gives a shit about the second day of the conference. No one really, really cares about watching conference speakers that much. It's a, it's a big hangout, right? And so I was like, well, fuck it. Let's do the same again. But this time, let's try and get five, 600 people into Bedford. Let's have the day of talks. Let's make it around the cheat code. We'll probably do a workshop around what a cheat code is, how you use it. And then the next day, let's all go down to the football football ground let's have a barbecue let's drink beer and watch a game of football i mean it, uh, everyone will have a great time yeah that's a that's a recipe for success there I, I you know i one of the questions that i got on uh on noster was you know do you have any uh like what what is the advice that you gave to these teams that they were getting uh, wanted to you know be also bitcoin teams like obviously there's a, a lot of details but like if there was a is, is there something that you've learned where you're like man i, I wish i would have realized this when we were starting out on this journey? Uh, the main things I've learned are non-Bitcoin things. <laughs> yeah, how to handle merchandise, to how to manage stock, how to manage deliveries, all things like operational things of things I've not <clears> done <throat> before. No, I mean, look, my main advice to them is like, if you're, if you're doing this because you see me doing it and you're like inspired by it, that's cool. But just be aware, I have first mover advantage. And I'm not saying that to say don't do it. I'm just saying... You know, you may not get the same kind of awareness that I did, and I also have a large platform where every week I can tell people the scores and the results and tweet it out. So I've got a, there's a you might not be able to do exactly what I've done, but that's not a reason not to do it. I said if you're gonna do it, embrace it and do it properly. Okay, just embrace it and do it properly, and have your meetups before the games. Allow people to pay with Bitcoin, but um, 
but my main advice is just it's a bit like doing a podcast you got to go with it and stick with it that's what it is you got to go with it and stick with it and yet look maybe mine is the bitcoin team but you can be the austrian bitcoin team that all the austrian bitcoiners support and love and you'll still get other nutters around the world who will just buy your t-shirt just because there's a little bitcoin logo on the side they want it and that's cool yeah. for you as well will everyone make a pilgrimage to austria to watch them like they're going to come to bedford to watch real bedford i don't know but I, I wish them all the success, and I I think it'd be great to get the chairman of all those clubs on the stage, stage together, cheat code, and talk about it. I think there's a lot of cool stuff we can do with it. But yeah. My advice to them is just like you have to find your own path, and it's going to be very different from Real Bedford's. Oh, and I mean, the nice thing is that now there are uh, probably even just because things move so fast in this space, uh, there's so many more tools that are cropping up like all the time. Um, who, who do you guys use for uh, your your POS uh, system like at the at the stadium. So we have two. We use Zettel as our fiat one, and then we use Open Node as our Bitcoin. Nice. One. I haven't okay. found somebody who's integrated the two very well yet. And to be honest, there's probably things we can do, but it works for us at the moment. And and even changing, it's like, well, if we change, what do we change it to? But hopefully, we're going to get the two integrated. I want to get. Um, a ticket Taylor, who we do our online tickets to accept Bitcoin because they don't at the moment. Uh, with our conference, we're doing uh, Fiat through Ticket Taylor and uh, Bitcoin through Coin Corner. Um, nice. Eventually, Coin Corner, probably not this season, but next season might do our uh, Bitcoin payments for tickets. So, like, we, we're trying to get there. Some of this stuff, though, like, there's like, a, it takes time. There's a like trade off. Like, my bar, I don't accept Bitcoin in my bar. I will do come the conference next year. I haven't done it yet because. I'll be the only one probably buying beer with Bitcoin in there, right? <laughs> so like all the accounting, logistics and whatever, and I, I don't have time to waste my like staff. They're busy. So these, I want the tools to be right, not me to fudge tools into it. I want a POS system that just says you're paying cash, card or Bitcoin and just taps, does it all. So we'll get there. We're getting there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know, you could, of course, make your circular economy of one just feeding back in. Um, well, Peter, you know, I want to be uh, I want to be conscious of your time, too, because I know it's it's afternoon there for you. And I know you're a, you're a busy man. I have really enjoyed this conversation and too, I appreciate buddy. you you taking the time. Is there uh, where I mean, you know, me listening to your podcast, you always ask, where do you want to send people? So I'll ask you, uh, where would you like to send people? What what do you what do you want them to check out from your work? Obviously, what Bitcoin did. Um, your podcast, your YouTube channel, all of that. But is there anywhere else you want people to check out? Just the football team. I just want people to back okay. the football team because if if we win the league again this year and next year, if we keep going up, this thing's going to get big. Look, we've already seen multiple other football teams now. I don't think it's a coincidence. And there's yeah. like some people, they're like, oh, I don't care about football. Shut the fuck about football. I was like, did you care about El Salvador before? Like you care because they're Bitcoin country. Don't care. It's not that we're a football team we're a bitcoin project and if this works and continues to be successful it's a great flag it's a signal for everyone and so back it because it's a bitcoin project come and see us come to a game come and have a beer come to the conference come yeah so check out rail bedford rail bedford.com and if you want to come to our conference which will be super it's gonna be so much fun next year april in the uk in bedford cheatcode.co.uk would love to see people there and dude if i know it's going to be difficult for you but we would love to have you over as well and and make sure when uh kyla wakes you give her a big high five for me and say i say hello I, I i certainly will we'll see what we can do you know maybe maybe it'll be time for the the little guy's first trip across the pond who can say I, and you know for me I, I don't i don't have a a football team that i support so i guess now i'm you know i'm you officially now, now i have one you know yeah. and it's uh that, that's a nice feeling it's nice to nice to belong there 
Well, uh, Peter, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate this. And to everybody out there, just remember Bitcoin is scarce, but Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for listening to this one. And uh, of course, to Peter's as well. Peter, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And thank you, my I'll man. talk to you soon. Appreciate it. See ya. And that's a wrap on this Bitcoin Talk episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. If you are a Bitcoin-only company interested in sponsoring another fucking Bitcoin podcast, head to bitcoinpodcast.net or hit me up on social media. On Noster, head to primal.net slash walker. And on Twitter, search for at Walker America or at Titcoin Podcast. You can also watch the video version of this show on X or on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash at Walker America or Rumble by searching for at Walker America. Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million. But Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Until next time, stay free.